Welcome to the Voice of MPE, the official podcast of Merchant Payments Ecosystem, Europe's largest merchant payments conference. Today, we are at the 16th annual MPE conference, MPE 2023. This podcast brings you interviews with payment industry leaders and professionals from the entire payment world. For more information, head over to www.merchantpaymentsecosystem.com. Today, we discuss the evolution of retailer apps and the technology behind wallets and apps. Daniel Kornitzer from Tilio, the moderator of this session, spoke with Octavia Puzderza from Mastercard, Nabil Musa from Next Group, Matteo Gamba from Wayfair, Terry Smith from Digisec, and Matthias Henriks from Intiv. Learn more about smart wallets and super apps. We're going to introduce the, uh, the other three members of the panel. So, uh, Terry, if you want to start, then shortly, uh, briefly introduce yourself, and then we'll go to Matthias and Matteo. Hi, I'm the co-founder and global ambassador for Digisec, and Digisec runs a platform that enables wearables to become payment devices and other things. So, moving into the more than just payment environment. Thanks, Terry. Working with Intif on, um, I would say, next generation technology. So we are tech partner for both merchants and fintechs alike. So I think we're sitting in the in the sweet spot of what what's been talking, uh, what's been talked about before. And uh, yeah, happy to uh, listen and and participate in this great discussion. Thank you, uh, Matteo. I work for Wafer. Uh, Wafer is a large enterprise merchant selling furniture and houseware. Uh, we operate in uh, US, Canada, UK, Germany, and, and Ireland. Uh, generally, our focus is really around uh, managing payments, ensuring that the, our customers have the better, the best possible experience uh, while offering them a, a wide variety of payment options and financing payment methods. Um, trying to customize as much as possible this payment experience so that we can reduce the friction and improve their conversion rate. Super. And you've already met Nabil and Octavian. So um, great, uh, great presentations. Uh, maybe one, one thought as, as someone that created one of the first uh, digital wallets uh, about 20 years ago. Uh, in addition to, I guess, uh, increasing conversion and um, lowering cost, uh, wallets create a two-sided network. In other words, um, because they have a direct relationship with consumers, can also bring brand new consumers, customers to the merchants. So not only they can process the payment, but they can open up to a new segment of the population uh, because of that uh, that relationship that they have directly with, with consumers. Um, let's talk about smart wallets and you know, versus uh, super apps. Um, the question is, are they a potential way to deal with fragmentation and complexity of payment methods? Um, what are the challenges of deploying wallets and embedded finance solutions? So let's start. Maybe, Terry, you want to? Um, well, I, I guess from my understanding of, of super apps is it's more um, they've started out in an environment like a marketplace or they've started out doing something that people want to do and then they've had to increase their um, capability. So, for example, I, I don't know, like Facebook now, you, you've got Facebook and you can purchase through Facebook. You can do all sorts of different things through Facebook. It's become, you know, a pretty super app. 
Um, whereas when we're talking about wallets, to me, a wallet is a financial tool that has many different payment capabilities embedded within it, potentially. Um, and then we've got a, a bit of a hybrid. I mean, we've actually got a hybrid app. Um, it, it will allow you to um, be a wallet, um, but it also enables you to look at other uh, service providers beyond payment, um, but it goes beyond that and enables you to actually create the item that is within your wallet. So it goes from inception to use, which is a little bit different. It's a little bit hybrid from that. So um, I, th I think our wallet will probably get subsumed into somebody else's wallet, um, really for the convenience of having an all-in-one location and I think that's what people I mean I personally am looking at I hate opening my phone and and looking at you know six million apps sitting there um, I would rather choose one that I trust and I believe in and it does what I want it to do to the extent that I want to work and I think that's where you know people are going to drive it as opposed to merchants or banking I think it's going to be consumer driven on that Thank perspective. You. No, I, I agree with, uh, with Terry. It's, um, the, the angle, um, is, is different. Super apps came, as Terry mentioned, from, uh, the core, a core usage that a merchant or a tech company had, um, and expanded from there. And then finance was one, was one of the pillars of this expansion. Um, Whereas obviously super wallets are a financial instrument. I think uh, what's interesting is that the two can also converge as, um, you merchants may want to lift existing technology and existing solutions while they have to redevelop. So that's where super wallets can also converge with, uh, with super apps and, and, uh, and bring the financial angle without having to start from scratch and also help with this interoperability. And, and just uh, out of curiosity, maybe a show of hands. Uh, when we say wallet, are you thinking a credentials wallet versus a, versus a stored value account that can hold funds and uh, be a quasi bank account? Uh, what's your perspective on? I think. Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry. No, I think it's for you, right? Uh, no, any of you. It's, all right. it's an open discussion. Uh, no, I think for, for me, when I think about my wallet, uh, what my wallet is the digital form of what used to be a wallet for me personally. Um, so for me, it's when I take out my phone, um, Apple user here, guilty. Um, I double tap and I pay. That's all there is to it. I don't want to, I don't need to see more than that. That's speaking from the user perspective. I completely agree with you there. And also we've seen it on, uh, on your presentation, Nabil. Ecom, I don't want to have 20 different payment methods to choose from. I want the checkout, I want the merchant to remember me as, as, as a shopper. And I want them to offer me one, maybe two, maybe maximum three different uh, options, um, to, 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 to pay. I know that's a big theme for, for Matteo. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think it all starts with understanding the customer preferences, what they like and what they trust. Um, you will end up choosing primarily one wallet that you trust the most. Uh, I think that's a good example in Germany, like PayPal. Uh, they grew so much because they were able to become the de facto uh, standards for German customers to be the, the wallet that uh, customers would trust so that you don't have to trust a um, variety of different merchants. You just hand over all your credentials to one trusted entity. I think trust is really the core part. And 
different people, different demographics will trust different, uh, different things. Uh, and that will change over time. Uh, I think in the future and what we already started seeing is like identity is also moving to new technologies like uh, adopting blockchain and there the concept of a wallet is a native concept. Uh, everything is based out of that and identity and payments are actually combined. So that is transition. I think that is going to happen in the future. And what we are seeing today is in a way a transitory phase. Uh, we're going to go into new technologies and also might be fully decentralized. And you might have a concept that is more, uh, agnostic of a given company that still holds your own identity and your own payment information and it's able to transmit trust between um, different parts. Nabil? No, I think I agree with pretty much all the points that have been mentioned so far. I would just add like one nuance to it. I guess there's, there's no one size fits all. Maybe there is in, like, there's a size that fits America and a profile that fits America for a wallet. Uh, what's inside the wallet, how it works, how much friction you need or don't need to, to execute a payment. Uh, and that's going to be the same in, in Europe. Every country is completely different. So there's going to be a different expectation in the segment here, like for trust. Actually, in Finland, you have bank payments. And uh, for me, that's firstly like super amount of friction, like logging into my bank and then authenticating on my phone and doing so much stuff. But for Finland, it creates a high amount of trust, right? So what creates conversion in Finland is actually a high amount of friction. And what creates trust is a high amount of friction. And that's diametrically opposed to what the common wisdom is, that less steps for the consumer is better, right? So it's going to be difficult for merchants because they're going to have to offer different things in different countries, optimize things in different ways for different countries as well. I agree. Uh, sometimes I think that trust is the, the killer app because at the end of the day, if there is no trust, everything else becomes a, a moot point. Uh, let's start now from the other end and talk about um, how we see the evolution of retailer apps. Uh, around issues such as loyalty, customization, financing options, privacy concerns, mm. etc. So let's start with Nabil and we'll sure. work our way uh, back here. I think Terry mentioned it. There's probably a point at which there's like app fatigue, <laughs> like too many apps. They have one for IKEA, one for H&M, one for blah, 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 like all sorts of one for Zara. And they try to get me. I'm at the store, right? I get instant 15% discount uh, if I download the app. Yeah, so I do it. And then I have like uh, six pages of, of, of merchant apps on my phone, which I never touch again until I go into that store and they say, uh, do you have the app? And I say, oh, I might do. Let me check. Um, so I don't think you can go, and there may be exceptions to this, but I think in general, you're not going to be able to, as an individual merchant, unless you're super large, super global, to have consumers loyal to your app or loyal to you in the way that we think apps should work. What we might see is ecosystems being created. ShopPay is an example of one. Plana is an example of one. And it's not the merchant that's actually centered. It's the e-commerce app mm. that's centered. It's the payment that's centered, that's creating and then embedding pay merchants into the app itself. And I think that's, and that's in its early days, by the way. So I'm not saying they've, they've finished it. They've completed the job, but I feel like that's the way the industry is going. It's not the merchant that's creating the loyalty. They may have other ways of creating loyalty, but that's different. That's direct to the consumer. Maybe it's about communications, but it's not via the app for me. I think you mentioned something like uh, there are few successful examples of merchants that managed to create their own wallets and loyalty programs. I think Starbucks is probably one of the best ones. Like they managed to turn their loyalty program almost into a currency. And that's because of the super high frequency and the added value that the customer gets from, from the app. It's like, 
I get to buy through it. I skip the queue. I earn rewards and I have, I use that on a daily basis. Uh, if you're purchasing furniture every six months or every year, that's going to be a very different type of uh, engagement with the user. So also the ambitions of the merchants are going to be different. Uh, I think there is an incentive from a merchant perspective to uh, try to build something on their own because you can take a cut of the, uh, of the unit economics. So there is money to be made somewhere uh, and it's appealing from a merchant to try to, to take some of that and bring it in-house. But then are you doing the right thing from a customer perspective? Are you really building features and functionalities that you, people will want to use? Mm. Otherwise, it's just building a castle that is not really uh, necessary. I think from, from our perspective is really thinking about what are the options that are available on the markets? What can we leverage? What can we embed? Um, how do we understand what customers prefer to use even before they tell us that they want to use them. I think Apple Pay is a very good use case, probably the, the perfect one where you don't need to uh, ask the customer, do you want to use Apple Pay? You can call an API. That API tells you this customer has Apple Pay, uh, has a card set up on the device, uh, and you can just pre-select everything, send them to the final step of checkout and have them pay. And I think what I, the way I'm trying to work with all the different providers and payment methods is like, give me a way to understand if a given customer has been using your product in the past. So I can increase the relevancy, uh, show less options and really focus on what matters to them. And that really helps as well to dec decrease that, uh, that, uh, check out of, of that <laughs> uh, with all the different options. You can say, okay, PayPal customer, uh, show PayPal, Apple Pay customer, uh, show Apple Pay and we focus on that. I think that's that's a good point. I mean, you need to recognize where's your customer coming from, which devices is, is, uh, are they using, and adapt accordingly. Um, when we talk about evolution of, of um, retailer apps, I mean, they all started out as shopping apps, right? That's, that's all there was. Uh, today, you have additional technologies, AR, VR, um, that allows you to, IKEA, place the furniture into your living room. Um, you have... Uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of different other possibilities. And, um, I think that's the only possibility also for merchants to, to hook their uh, customers to, to their app, to make them reoccurring customers. If there's something to explore, if there's a loyalty program behind it, um, then of course you have higher customer retention as well. Um, yeah, I actually wanted to, uh, ref I was reflecting on what you were saying at the beginning, uh, Nabil, which is, um, that there is also a risk to the merchant to be, um, not disintermediate, but to, to lose that direct uh, contact and trust with the customer, that trust and loyalty moving to some of the aggregator solutions, um, being a payment solution or mm. app um, aggregator. And um, that, that, that could be fine, or that could also be a risk. Um, one of the um, areas that merchants can uh, one of the steps measures can do to address that is obviously the seamless part. So actually what Matteo you're describing, like really personalizing even the checkout experience to be spot on so that it's, it's seamless. The other one is also, um, I think depending on what, what is your core purpose as a merchant? So if you are like a low frequency, high ticket price, it's one thing. If, if you are more of a, a Starbucks or high frequency, small ticket price, um, uh, the strategy and the way you would capture your, your audience would be, will be different. I think that's a little bit, um, 
super abstract, the illustration of that to an extreme. But even if you think about urban life, so there is a, a thread around what what is the customer journey in in the city, like busy life, like day to like paying multiple touch in multiple touch with multiple merchants. So if as merchant you can become relevant throughout one of these journeys, you can start kind of. Um, competing in, in for this share of trust and share of loyalty that you may be losing in some cases. Well, I, I think I must be the simple one amongst you. Um, to, to be perfectly honest, if, if an app doesn't offer me something that I want to or need to use, and I like, you know, that I, for example, your concept of the, the IKEA mm. being able to place your furniture, then you know what my first place is to go? I go to Amazon because I can find it there. Um, and so I think merchants have a, a real um, case to actually make sure that they're not just offering you to buy something. They've got to offer you a service so that when that service is completed and you feel comfortable that, you know, that service is what you wanted, then you buy it. Buying is just the end of the line. It's just you know, so long as I can touch a button and do it. Um, and so to me, I think merchants really have got to come up to the mark and offer something that consumers really want when they're going to compete against some of these huge super apps that have got fantastic marketplaces in them. Um, or they've got to subscribe to the, the marketplace and, you know, say, right, you know, we'll take a step back from being the app, but we'll sell our goods. Um, so that's a simplistic view from you. <laughs> cool. It's, Let me, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Sorry, just to add what Terry said, because Amazon is like the, maybe like an example of one where merchants reluctantly do this on Amazon because they want to, but the Shopify's like original uh, tagline was arming the rebels, right? That was like, you can be a shop and we can give you access to customers. You can create a web shop. You can be easily selling online within one hour or a day. Um, and now Shopify have created their own ecosystem again, which is so drawing some barriers around merchants and what they can and can't do. Um, so I think merchants need to consider carefully, like the amount of money they spend to acquire customers. Cost of acquisition has to be low. If you're pumping like loads of money into an app just to retain customers or to acquire new customers, how could that capital otherwise be spent on your business or supply chain, whatever else? Um, and how much do you want to rely on the Amazons and Shop Shopify of the world? They're trying to build out their logistics. Uh, you have to give something away and it's going to be a balance between the give and take and how much you can do yourself. Totally. Let, let's try and we win some of the questions from the audience. I'm going to try and combine two questions. So the, the first one is what changes can we expect on the wallet world once Apple is obligated to open their NFC capabilities? And I'll tie that to another question, which is... Today, uh, merchant wallets are defined as uh, card not present, which has higher transaction costs. Um, can, can we find a way to turn that into, um, into card present and maybe tapping into the NFC and allowing the consumer to tap the, their phone could potentially trans, uh, translate that transaction into a, into a card present transaction. But anyone that wants to comment, uh, feel free to jump in. So I think it all, all goes back to the concept of identity. Uh, and like you pay higher fees for card not present because those are riskier transactions. Customer, you, you have to assume that the real customer is there versus seeing the, the user being in person. And the more technology comes together and provides option, like 
and there was a panel before about biometrics, for example, you have better understanding of who the user really is, uh, you decrease the risk. And so that can also come together. So opening the NFC capabilities, I think you probably might have a better understanding. Uh, but I think that's going to open up to... Uh, to something beyond just Apple. Like anybody that can process payments will be able to do it. So we'll increase competition, we'll make those capabilities across available across different apps. And so it, it's, I'm not sure if it's going to solve the problem of decreasing the cost. Uh, that's uh, something that requires probably different type of technology, but will definitely uh, enable more use cases to uh, to use your phone uh, as a as a tool to pay. Yeah, I, I think basically what it'll do is it'll open up Apple phones to non-Apple wallets, basically, just like a Google phone can have many different wallets on it, um, and that's obviously something that Apple are fighting, you know, tooth and nail to avoid. Um, but I don't think it'll have um, a huge impact on the way the consumer pays, other than it won't be using the 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 wallet called Apple Pay. They'll be using a wallet called something else, and that'll really depend upon whether the consumer themselves is loyal to Apple or whether they prefer another wallet because it comes with other services. Um, and if that other wallet comes with other services, it may be that they would choose to use that. Um, but I don't think it's going to make a, a huge impact on costings and, you know, capabilities because it's all contactless point of sale through a card. I guess it's, it's, it's the same answer to the question if a European wallet will uh, succeed. Mm -hmm. um, we are all using a wallet today. So that European wallet will have to have a pretty good uh, usability, pretty good other features that currently existing wallets don't have for anyone to to move because i mean yeah sure they're all american but so what i think that the opening to the competition may also create more variety in the solutions offered so that it may accelerate actually adoption for the less like uh, open customers to um, to wallets which means that from a merchant perspective um are solving the problem, so positioning themselves in the space and how they want to deal with it will become even more important. But it doesn't make any difference to the to the merchant particularly. It's just contactless payment, is it? and then it's a card. So, you know, they just happen to have a decal that says Apple Pay, but it isn't. It is just either MasterCard, Visa, Amex, or one of the others. So, you know, I don't think that's going to change, but I think what will happen is that um, other wallets will compete for your for your visibility and for, for your use, and then we'll embed other things into it and get an opportunity to become more super wallets rather than um, just a, you know, a card wallet. I think it's interesting the way the question was worded. It was like, once Apple public, <laughs> okay. are you a regulator? Like, do, you know, do you know something we don't know? They'll find, they'll find another way. They'll find another but way to I, look I would just add one, one perspective on that, right? Uh, it's one thing to have other apps and while it's able to have access to the NFC, it's one thing for it to be the primary thing that the device prompts at the point of sale. Like when you're shopping on Apple Pay, uh, on an Apple device in app, what's the first thing that pops up? You can have any wallet as an app on your phone already today. When you shop on an iPhone in app, Apple is going to pop up. So when you're I mean, in you store, you will have to choose a default. Similar yeah, to okay. you, how you choose sure. the default card in your wallet, you will sure. have to choose a default wallet on yeah. your device yeah. uh, because. 
something will happen. Sure, my app are going to hide that somewhere in the settings that you can find. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, Apple yeah, exactly. still I, has I have a lot of faith in Apple and uh, <laughs> designing a user experience. Or, 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 will they, or will they just sort of fix it so that the only one that does pop up is Apple? Yeah. You know, there are ways and there are means of doing it and they exactly. will try. Yeah, and unless the merchant has... I think the only thing that will change the merchant experience is cost. Interchange fee regulation, 2015, co-badged cards, Visa, Damcourt, for example, in Denmark. The merchant then had the choice. Do I want to process this as Visa? Or do I want to process this as Damcourt? And most merchants picked Damcourt when they were given the choice because it's cheaper. So the way the regulator designs how NFC capabilities should be opened up is going to determine what the merchant yeah. is. I'm afraid we're out of time, so please join me in thanking our fantastic panel. Thanks for tuning in to the official MPE podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and check other video interviews with other industry leaders on our YouTube channel. For more content, follow Merchant Payments Ecosystem on LinkedIn and Twitter. Don't miss out on our Positivity magazine and remember to subscribe to the MPE newsletter at www.merchantpaymentsecosystem.com.